Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are continuing our Better Story series, and today I'm going to talk on the theme of covenant. So we started with the theme of creation. And the whole remit of this series is that we live in a culture that sells us stories and narratives and we buy into and actually create those as the narratives for our life. And depending on what they are, we we can buy into the belief that, you know, if we just build a great kingdom of riches around us, we'll be happy. But we all know that that's a story that continually crumbles for people because we get there and then realize that there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something better than this. Some of us have built into a narrative that says life is all about me. Therefore, whatever I can suck out of this life, that is all that matters. Yet we find ourselves increasingly isolated and lonely and unhappy with no joy and no peace. And so through this series, as we look at some of the narratives of culture, we're looking at the better story that the scripture gives us. And look, I've got to admit, we come from a premise to say that the story that the Bible gives us is a better story. You may not be there yet. You might be exploring that. Well, I'm glad you're on the journey with us. I hope that as we do this journey, you discover the riches of what you can find in a relationship with Jesus. So we looked at creation. We looked at the fact that God created us with value and intent and purpose and meaning. We're not just a cosmic accident here to buy time and make the most we can out of this life, but but there is someone behind the creation of this world and the creation of you, and you are infinitely loved and purposed and valued by God himself. And then in week two, we looked at the idea of sin, that, that, that brokenness and sin came into the human story. Suddenly, a whole bunch of stuff that God never intended for humanity became part of our story. And one of the most phenomenal things for me about the story of the scriptures and the story of God is that God just didn't at that point go, failed experiment, give up, start again. What's the point? The Bible could have ended after Genesis chapter 3, but it didn't. It's where we move to today's theme, covenant. And before I jump into it, we're doing this snapshot through scripture. Next week, we have a forced uh, exit from the hall. The school's hosting a musical, so we won't be able to meet in here next week. We're actually going to be meeting still in the school, but outside. Now, uh, wear your jackets, wear your coats, but don't miss next Sunday because it's the central week of our Better Story series. And we're going to talk about the central message of Jesus and the cross. What I'm going to talk about today is going to build to a great crescendo next week. And we're going to do it a bit different. We're going to start with breakfast, as Danny said, so come a bit early and Uh, bring a couple of dollars and have some brekkie with us, but then come prepared for something different because we're going to do church in a way that I think is really going to help you understand the centrality of the cross and the centrality of Jesus, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And if it's a day like today, who wouldn't want to be sitting outside in the glorious southeast Queensland winter sunshine? So don't miss it. Be here next Sunday for that. But I want to talk today about the idea of covenant. You see, covenant is a central theme of the scriptures. Uh, We all are used to these days jumping on our phones or on our computers or our tablets and signing up for some new online service. Now, I want an honest show of hands. Here when you go through, you put in your details, you you put in your address, your phone number, your email address, you know, you you probably think it's going to get sold somewhere 
to, you know, someone that's going to try and sell you something, but you don't care because you really want the online service that you're signing up for. And you get to the last bit, and before you can submit your application and open an account, there's a little checkbox that says, I agree to the terms and conditions set out by whatever company that you're signing up for. And you can't actually register or build an account without ticking that checkbox. And there's always a link that you can flick through to go to the terms and conditions. On a show of hands, who reads through those? There's one or two. You guys are incredibly disciplined. <laughs> incredibly disciplined. Because I'm like, ah, oh, there's probably stuff in there I should know about, but I'm in a hurry. Tick the box, register, sell my information to the world. I mean, really, what are they going to find out about me? Like... I live in Ormo, I've got five kids. Like, it, anyway, I, I just don't go through the terms and conditions. But it's crazy. This week I thought I should actually have a look at what terms and conditions are in place for some of the services that I subscribe to. So I went to Instagram. I, I'm a, I have an Instagram account. I use it very rarely. Uh, I think I last posted about two years ago. I don't even use it to look at what other people are doing. I'm just, I'm, I'm not very good with Instagram, even though I know it's the language of the younger generation. But I'm on there very occasionally, usually just to check on the behaviour of my children online. That's really what it's there for. They're out at kids, so they don't know that, but I just stalk my own children to make sure they're not doing or saying anything stupid. But I'll sign up for Instagram, and today, this week, I decided to tick through to the terms and conditions. And there are page after page after page after page of terms and conditions that I've agreed to to become an Instagram account user. There's the terms of use. And underneath the terms of use, once you scroll down the five or six pages that encompass that, you can click through to the data policy, which tells you everything you need to know about the fact that when you Google uh, caravans, that for the next six months, you're going to get ads pop up in every random place about caravans. It tells you all the way they use your information so that that happens and why it's acceptable and how they won't use your information. And once you trawl through the many pages of data policy, you also need to go to the community guidelines that dictate who you are online, what you'll post, what you won't post, what you won't say, what you will say, and then you can go through, if you really wanted to look at Facebook platform terms and developers policies, music guidelines, and branded content guidelines. I, I, they had me at, will you accept the terms and conditions? I'm just like, yes, okay, I don't care anymore, tick. I mean, this is all just so that you can have a social media account on the world's largest social media platform. That's what it takes to sign up for Instagram. Let me tell you about a different story. Almost 20 years to the day, uh, a young bloke that had recently moved to Brisbane decided to pick his girlfriend up in her car, a purple Ford Festiva that was way better than his two-tone rusted-out Holden Gemini, and he drove her in her car to a place called Brett's Wharf. Does anyone remember Brett's Wharf, Prison River? Swanky restaurant. Like, it's a swanky restaurant. Now, this particular 22-year-old at the time, who will name Andrew, <laughs> for the sake of a good story, didn't have a lot of money because he was at Bible college. Hence why he was borrowing his girlfriend's car. But for this occasion, he decided to splurge because he had one very important question to ask this young lady who today will name Chrissy. You see, that night at Brett's Wharf, I splurged because I got down on one knee on the edge of the Brisbane River and I asked her, as she gazed into the eyes of this incredible specimen of a man, 
will she marry me? And she said, yes. I mean, five months later, Chrissy and I stood face to face at the front of Gateway Mackenzie, and we spoke some promises to one another about how this relationship was going to work. And then we signed one double-sided piece of paper and another little ornamental certificate that we can put on the wall if we want to. And in that point of time, our relationship became official and binding. Now, now the first story I told you this morning was the one about what it takes to sign up for a social media account. There's page after page after page of terms of service and use and binding agreements and legal jargon and all the things that govern the relationship, that govern the contract, that that speak to how I will act and how they will act in this arrangement that's going to allow me to have a social media account. And the consequences of not living up to that contract I may get my account disabled or a post removed. The second story I told didn't have any paperwork behind it at all. It just had the spoken promises of a naive 22-year-old who fell in love with a girl and decided that they should spend the rest of their lives together. In my job now, I get to be part of hiring staff. When we hire someone to come and work a -a two-day-a-week role at our church, we'll go through an extensive interview process. We'll go through a criminal history check. We'll go and speak to all past referees. We'll ring past principals and past bosses and past friends. And we'll go through this whole process. So at the end of the day, we can put in front of them a contract and say, we believe you're the person to come and work. But when it comes to marriage, we didn't do any of that. It's not like I thought, I'm going to Brett's Wharf tonight, but first... I'm going to ring all the principals, all the former teachers, anyone that Chrissy's ever worked for. There was nothing in the background of that. I just naively fell in love with someone and thought, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. And we stood at the altar and we committed our lives together. We promised our lives to one another. And then we just said, we're going to make this work. There's a huge difference between a contract and a covenant. We don't talk about the contract of marriage. We talk about the covenant of marriage. And why do I give you that example today? Because if we understand what it looks like when we get the the covenant of marriage, which is two people coming together voluntarily in relationship and choosing to bind themselves to one another with promises underpinning that, but saying we're in this together. No background checks, no history checks, no legal documents Uh, that are page after page after page wrong. There is a legal document to sign, but it's one double-sided document that says, I'm in this for life. That is what we call the covenant of marriage. And why is that important? Because covenant is such a significant theme in the scriptures. And when we understand the picture that's so relevant to us, which is the covenant of marriage, we understand a little bit more about the way God chooses to relate to us. Because covenant is such a significant theme because the Bible tells us that God chooses to enter into a covenant with his people. Thomas Schreiner, New Testament theologian, says covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. A covenant should be distinguished from a contract because it is a personal relationship which people voluntarily enter. And so as we've moved through the story so far in the scripture, 
from creation to sin, the next dominant theme is the theme of covenant. Because after the created goodness of God came destruction and devastation when sin entered this world. And sin ran rampant and God starts to grieve. And so God just says, why keep mankind? What's the point? This is a failed experiment. And so the Bible tells us that a great flood comes across the planet. But God sees in one man, Noah, faithfulness and righteousness and makes a decision that he's not going to wipe humanity from the face of the earth, but he's going to save Noah and his family. And at the end of that story, God enters into a covenant with Noah. This is what the Bible says. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you, and never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between you, me, and every living creature a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Noah was the first moment where we see plainly what it was like for a covenant to be established between God and people. Not a long legal framework, not a contract, not not an agreement between equals, but God Almighty himself saying, Noah, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to create a covenant with you, Noah. This goes deep. This is about relationship. I will never wipe humanity from the face of the earth with a flood. And every time you glance at the skies and see a rainbow, be reminded of the covenant that I've made with you. If you continue to read the Old Testament, The next major juncture in the story is when God, in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read this a little bit later, comes to a man named Abram. His name gets changed to Abraham. Most of us have heard of Abraham. And God just appears. There's no background. There's no context. We get no sense of Abraham being anyone special or significant. We just get a sense that God decides to choose this man and comes and creates a covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Abraham Over time and through that story, God starts to reveal himself through a people of Israel, Abraham's descendants. And at Mount Sinai, after they've been rescued from the tyranny of Egypt, God stands there and establishes a covenant with the people of Israel. Fast forward to one of the great kings of Israel, the King David, and God establishes a covenant with King David that starts to promise that what he's going to do is going to be so significant through the line of David that all humanity will benefit from what God has in store. And then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus himself speaks in the cross of a brand new covenant that is now established through the death of Jesus himself. You see, the idea of covenant runs deep through the scriptures. And I just want to give us a broad snapshot for a couple of minutes about what we can learn about God through this idea of covenant. Four things I want to say this morning. Number one is this. Covenant teaches us about the reckless love of God. Covenant teaches us about the reckless love of God. Why does it? Because the same way that I just fell in love with a girl and decided to ask her to be my wife, not 300 pages of legal jargon that defined the way that this should happen, not not background checks and history checks, 
just driven by love, that's the same way that God sees us. God doesn't enter into a contract with us. God enters into a covenant with his people. When I look at my marriage, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, we hope that when we decide who we're going to marry, that we make a wise choice. But let's be honest, when you're young, I was 22 years of age. Four years after society had officially kind of said that I was an adult, I decided to commit my life to somebody. You see, I didn't enter into marriage with all the fine print considered. I was just driven into it by love. And this is how God chooses us. He's driven to us not by bringing the fine print. He's just driven to us by love. When God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to create a covenant with you that I will never wipe humanity from the face of the earth. It's not because God has to. And this is the thing I want us to hear this morning. The theme of covenant tells us something really important about the way that God sees us. God doesn't have to love you. He, 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 you, he owes you nothing. If you think God owes you something, you've got a very wrong picture of God and a very overinflated understanding of yourself. God owes you nothing. There's nothing that you could bring that would make God any more complete than he already is. So it's not what you bring to him that drives his relationship with you. It's the fact that he just loves you so deeply that his life is not complete if you're not part of it. God is compelled by love. And covenant in itself is a reckless act because God constantly chooses to align himself to people like you and I, who, if we're all really honest, are going to let him down at some point in the story, aren't we? But God's not looking for your perfection. He's just looking for your adoration. He just wants to love you and wants to be loved in return. Covenant tells us that God is a God of reckless love. More than that, covenant tells us that God is a God of incredible grace. Not one of the covenants that God creates in Scripture is a covenant that is based on equality or merit. God doesn't come to terms with humanity because he goes, I better work something out because they've kind of, it's not like two warring nations going, let's, it's better that we get on than that we destroy each other because we're both powerful and we're going to do some damage. It's not like that. God comes to us when we've really got not a whole lot to offer him in return, but he chooses to come anyway. That is what grace looks like. Grace is when you get a gift from God that you don't deserve. And the offer of having a relationship with almighty creator God is a gracious gift that you don't deserve, but that God gives us anyway. You see, God doesn't enter into a contract with us. He invites us into a covenant relationship. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Abraham. He just appears in Genesis chapter 12. The Bible just says this. God appeared to Abram. We get no context. We got no sense of his history. We don't know if he's a good guy, a bad guy, or whether God just did this. I'm going to do it through you. And guess what God continues to do? He comes to people like you and me with no context, no history, no great resume, no kind of line of things that make you worthy or wonderful. But he goes, hey, Cooper, I want you. Let's do this together. You've got not a lot to offer me, I've got a lot to offer you, but let's do this together. 
You just bring whatever it is that I've gifted you to do. We're going to change the world. Mike, I choose you. He just goes, Abram, I choose you. And through you, we're going to change the world, Abram. And God still wants to point his finger at each one of us and call us by name and say, guess what? You've got not a lot to bring. You're going to muck some stuff up, but I'm going to choose you. See, when God creates a covenant relationship with us, it just points us to the incredible grace of God. When we fast forward in the Old Testament, when we get to the covenant that God established with Israel on uh, the base of Mount Sinai, and some of us know the story, but Moses goes to the top of the mountain and God speaks to Moses and gives him what we now know is or was known and we still know is the Ten Commandments, his rules for living. And suddenly then the rest, a whole chunk of the early part of the scripture goes into unpacking the law, the law of God, the law that God wanted. And one of the things that, that, that happens in that, sometimes we start to believe that the adherence to the law is the thing that establishes the relationship. But you know what the Bible tells us, what covenant tells us? Relationship always comes before the rules. God established relationship with his people ever before he told them the way they should live. We flip that at times and we think, well, if we get the living part right, God might want to know us. The biblical picture of covenant is that God always established covenant and then said, okay, now let's talk about the bounds of the covenant, how you should do life so that you do this well. Because God's covenant is always about us flourishing in life and so therefore if we're going to flourish, we should take note of the creator and how he suggests we do life well so we do flourish. But covenant reminds us that rules don't establish the relationship. They just define the relationship. Some of us have spent our whole life trying to do it better so God will accept us. The story of covenant in the Old Testament tells us that God accepts us, but then wants us to do better because he knows the way we're created. And when we live according to his purpose and his plan, when we live according to the boundaries that he set for us, we do life better. See, many of us here today have looked at faith through the lens of law, but we're always invited to look through the lens of relationship. So covenant tells us the reckless love of God. It tells us the amazing grace of God. It reminds us that relationship always comes before the rules, that rules just define the relationship. They don't establish it. And finally, as we look at the covenant passages in the Old Testament, we see that God is always true to his promises. God is always trustworthy to his promises. To illustrate that, I want to take us to the most incredible account where God points his finger at this man named Abram and invites him to do something incredible. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now let's not just skip past that because what God asks of Abram is a big step of faith. He's inviting him to go on an adventure that goes against all sense of norm and all sense of cultural norm to walk away from his country, his people, and his family. But God says, I want you to go. And when you do, here's what I want to do with you. I'm going to make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a promise that God makes to Abraham. This is, just look at the three parts of it. I'll make you into a great nation and bless you. 
I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. You know, we live in a culture of instant gratification. What do I mean by that? The story that we are told is get what you want and get it now. It's the buy now, pay later culture. But we don't just apply that to white good purchases and you know, vehicle purchases. We apply that to everything. Take what you want now and pay for it later. We do it financially. We do it with our health. We do it with our relationships. We live in a culture of instant gratification. Just suck whatever you can out of this moment. Don't delay till tomorrow. You don't want to miss out. So grab it now because if you get it now, your life will be complete now. Don't wait till next week to experience the joy and, and all that could come from this. Take it now. Progress that relationship faster than it needs to be progressed now because why wait? Why do this? Why do the long haul when it's all available to you right here and right now? We live in a culture of instant gratification. More than that, we live in a culture of instant celebrity. You've just got to look at the, the, the reality TV shows that have been put out in recent years and they're all about fast-tracking people's way to celebrity. You ask a lot of young people what they want to be and some will tell you they just want to be an influencer. They don't know what they're influencing. They just want to have a large following on social media where they can sell products and make people convinced that they're someone famous. We live in a culture of instant celebrity. You see, without a narrative, a better story, that we're part of something bigger, the best we can hope for is pleasure and instant success and instant gratification. But God's encounter with Abraham shows us what it's like to be invited into a larger story, but also to be invited into a much more significant story than our lives will ever see played out. I mean, the promises that God made to Abraham were incredible. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I want you to go to the land that I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and you're going to have many, many offspring. Uh, Genesis chapter 15 Abram's come back to a conversation with God and they're revisiting some of what they spoke about uh, in Genesis 12 when God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and Abram says, great God, but I don't have any offspring that have come from my blood. Like actually, I've got offspring, but it was my own doing. I went and got my servant girl, but you promised myself and Sarah, but we've got no kids. So how can we be bearers of your promise? And God takes Abram out to the field and lies him down in the field and tells him to gaze at the stars. You ever done that? Not, not in your, your driveway with streetlights, but imagine Abram in the middle of, you know, nomadic life in the Middle East thousands of years ago, no artificial light lying down on his back, staring at the clear sky. And do you know when you look at the sky, the longer you look, the more the stars just keep appearing? And Abram's just looking at the sky, and God says, start counting, Abram. And Abram's like, well, there's one. He just, he lies there for hours. He probably falls asleep trying to count. He hasn't even got beyond the horizon and then things have just moved and so he's lost count. He doesn't even know how to count the stars. And there's God's point. Abram, I promise is going to be way more prolific than you could ever imagine. So he's promised land. He's promised offspring. He's promised renown. He's promised the celebrity status. Abram, I will make your name great. And Abram, you're going to be a blessing to all people of all time. But there's some really important lessons that I just want us to draw out just for a minute as we close today from the story of Abram. Because nothing that God promised was instant. And most of what God promised, Abram never got to see.
Abraham only became a celebrity long after he was gone, long after he was around to even know it or see it. Who here, before you stepped in today, had heard of Abraham? Just a show of hands. There's not many you're putting here. Come on. Who's, who's, who's heard of Abraham when you, before you stepped into? So God said to a man 6,000 years ago, I'm going to make your name great. Has that promise been fulfilled? Right across the world, one of the most famous people of faith is Abraham. But Abraham never got to see it in his lifetime. You see, God's promises don't always come to bear in our lifetime and they don't always come to bear now. But because we live in a culture of instant gratification, an instant desire for success, an instant desire for pleasure, we, we take that into our relationship with God where we say, well, God, you promised you're going to bless me. How come it hasn't happened? I mean, that was at the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, and it's now Sunday, and nothing's changed. God, God you promised that this stuff was going to work out, but what the, to- the clock is ticking. It was November 2020. It's now May 2021, and I think you've forgotten We read the story of Abraham like it happened, like boom, 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 boom. Genesis chapter 12, it says that God says, Abraham, I want you to go to a different land. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. All people on earth will be blessed. The the passage I read before, Genesis 12, it says a little bit further down that passage, Abraham was 75 years old when he left his father's household. Fast forward three chapters, Genesis chapter 15, God drags Abraham out into a field where he lies down and he stares at the sky. We then hear that you know, Abraham's taken matters into his own hands and gone and decided to try and fast track what God had promised. And so he takes his servant, Hagar, and goes and, and uh, has a baby with her. The Bible tells us that when that happened, Abraham was 86. Genesis chapter 17, God comes back to Abraham and says, Abraham, I just want to remind you of the covenant that I've created with you, the promises that I've given you, that I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham laughs at God this time and says, really? I I, I mean, I've got the child that I had out of wedlock, but Sarah's now 100, I'm 99. Is that actually going to happen? 99 years old, 24 years from when God first spoke into Abraham's story. We want things to happen in 24 minutes. But God promised to Abraham, and it was 24 years before he saw the first part of the fulfillment of God's covenant promise in his life. And guess what? Despite counting the stars of the sky, Abraham's investment and engagement and experience of God's promise was one child, the child of promise, Isaac. He didn't get to see his name become great. He didn't get to see the land that his people would live in. He didn't get to see the numerous generations that were going to be born from him. But guess what? God is always true to his promises. And Abraham became a significant part of the promises of God. And God never was untrue to a word that he spoke to him. So what do I want to say to us this morning? I want to give you an application to take out of the story of Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. Number one, be patient and stay the course. If God promises, God is always true to his promise. Find me an example of scripture where God promised something and it never came to bear. If God has promised something to you and it's God that spoke, it will come to be. But in a culture that demands everything now, some of us have got to learn to play the patient game. 
And some of us have considered walking away from our faith or walking away from our church or walking away from the things that matter because God didn't do the thing for us that we wanted right here and right now. God's promises for you go well beyond this moment. They go into all eternity, so stay the course. And when it feels like God's gone silent, or when it feels like the promise has gone cold, or when it feels like you're not seeing that which you believed in faith for, don't give up. Because God doesn't work on the timeline that our culture sets. God works on the timeline that is perfect. So don't give up and be patient. Secondly, and here's a little a challenge for any of us that have family. I want us to understand the generational impact of being faithful to the covenant that God establishes with us. Abraham didn't see it all come to bear in his lifetime, but his descendants did become as numerous as the stars in the sky. He couldn't count that night that God laid him down in the paddock, but he lay on his back and he sure tried. And in that moment, his heart was filled with faith. And the Bible goes on to say that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It is the first picture we get in the scripture where faith or belief actually puts us in right standing with God. But it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, if all we do is embrace the story of this culture which says get what you can out of the now, some of us are going to live a narrative and live a story that's going to rip off our kids and our grandkids and the generations to come because we're going to get fed up, we're going to get impatient, we're going to chase after other things, we're going to try and suck everything we can into this moment. We're going to walk away from the things that really matter. But you see, you see faith isn't about the instant sometimes, faith is about perseverance. Faith, faith isn't about just building a kingdom now, it's about building a kingdom for all eternity. And so if we get impatient, we threaten to rip off the gener generational impact that God wants to have through us by staying the course. Parents, I just want to say to you now, and I'm very careful how I say this because I wrestle this regularly. There's so many demands and things that come after my time and my affection and that of my kids. But you have no more important task in your life than to help your kids while they're under your watch to fall in love with Jesus. Like, there's a lot of other stuff that you can invest into them, that you can help them with, that you can encourage them with, that the opportunities that you can give them. But there is no more important task for you as a parent than to help your kids fall in love with Jesus. And if it means you've got to endure some stuff that doesn't really work for you, if it means that you're sitting in a church that's not ticking all of your boxes, but bringing your kids alive, put up with it, get over it and help make a difference. Because you have no more important task than to pass on the baton and to say to your kids, God is good and God is faithful and God is trustworthy and God will always be true to his story. And don't just suck what you can out of this life, but play the long haul because God will always be there for you. And the promises of this world and of this culture always fall down. They're always empty. They're always built on foundations that have nothing underneath them. But the foundation of God is one that is good and will go on into all of eternity. I say that humbly because I've got five kids and the challenge is real. And man, I make some mistakes and man, I get my priorities messed up at times and there's times when I talk about things of faith 
in my family home that I, I should be more positive than I am. But you know what? I just keep feeling the prong of God if this is the most important thing that you will do. So do whatever you need to do to play the long game, to stay patient, to recognize that God's promises will always come true. So don't give up because you're getting patient. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.